0: welcome to miami creators i am your host corrado and each week i bring you the inspiring stories behind miami's most influential businesses individuals entrepreneurs and more on today's episode we are joined by isabella acker the founder of prism creative group a community-building agency focused on instilling Miami pride via storytelling and experiential events. Isabella and her team are at the center of Miami's cultural evolution, working hard to make Miami less about the flashy nightlife and clubbing scene and more about the culture and events people love. On today's episode, Isabella shares what inspired her to launch PRISM, she opens up about some truly gut-wrenching moments she's faced in pursuing her vision, what has gotten her through those difficult times, the success her and her team have enjoyed, and of course, as you might expect, we go deep into her love for this beautiful city we call home. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this spontaneous, cultural, illuminating conversation with the one and only Isabella Acker. Isabella,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
0: I often get questions about the name of the podcast, Miami Creators, and I always have to explain what the thought process was behind that name with you. I feel like you're the perfect embodiment of (laughs) that name because you are the definition of someone who is slowly, but surely creating a different, better Miami. So why don't you take a few moments to introduce yourself? prism, everything that you guys do,
1: anything. Thank you so much. Well, beautiful intro. Um, It was very sweet of you to say. And I like the creator analogy too, because I think people sometimes make it sound so much bigger than it has to be, entrepreneur and business plan. And I think in the end of the day, when you have a strong desire to uh, have an idea, bring it into the world, you just, I think it is that simple. You kind of manifest that into, into life. But yeah, so people call me Izzy. Um but um I'm the founder of uh, Prism Creative Group and we've really worked within the last um 4 years to find what does it mean to bring quality of life into Miami. And it's this kind of bigger idea that falls into many different things of you know, riding public transit and supporting small businesses so we don't live in a Starbucks world and nothing in like Starbucks, but, you know, it's all about empowering the, the local entrepreneurs in a lot of different ways of what makes a city so special. Making culture accessible. You know, we've really identified eight different pillars that allow us to be kind of a mission aligned agency so that we don't have to be a boring agency that just takes on client work i mean i never set out to do that and i know you know my whole team they're all entrepreneurs in, in their own ways too you know and i think when you can feel like you can take on client work but also better your city you feel very um invigorated and so we've coined ourselves as community building which of course I feel like we haven't really even scratched the surface of that. I feel like it, and we have firework effects of that in different versions and the things that we do, um, which naturally large-scale events do that. But, you know, when we travel, we, we all pick up on the small things like, oh, that barista writes the girl with the nice smile on the coffee or someone who like remembers your names and your kids and what's soft, you know, like little leagues they go to. And so I think understanding community on the very like psychological levels of people just feeling more human. And in Miami, sometimes you have a hard time connecting to that, you know, and it does feel like the values are like 180 because the city was built on sometimes this optics of nightlife and you know fancy pretentious you know garbage like, yeah, that, I mean it's fine yeah. you know I think Miami needed moments of that but the problem is it, it created so much of its identity and Miami has completely outgrown that you know right. and I think everyone who lives here we all are like of course you know Ocean Drive you don't know uh, you know a true Miami experience with nine other neighborhoods and so I think we always say it's kind of just like a misrepresentation of of information. And then when people have it, they're like, oh, wow, this is the true essence, you know? Right. But I think I, any city that's heavily, has so much tourism lends itself to that misconception, you know?
0: The, the idea of you being this almost kind of like hidden force behind PRISM, and PRISM also being sometimes the hidden force behind a lot of experiences that people are having. sure. Those two dynamics sometimes means that people may be enjoying the fruits of your labor, but may not necessarily know what Prism is or sure. who Isabella is and everything. So no, what, yeah. what is yeah, And I, and all I love about? that's a cool
1: way to look at it because we we try not to always make the narrative about us because I feel like in the end of the day, if you really dig something, you'll do the research and so in you know, the basic is we are a community building agency, um, very mission aligned, working to rebrand, re-identify. Miami, sometimes is on the tourism standpoint, right, as we know it, and then really making culture accessible. For example, um, I mean, making culture accessible, right? The event I just was showing you, the City of Miami Beach powered, you know, an event series on Ocean Drive, of which can be a little daunting, you know, like locals don't, there's a deep psychology as to why people don't go to Ocean Drive anymore, you know, and so I think that there's so much appeal to the beach, right? Like we want to go, but nobody wants to be price gouged. Nobody wants to feel like they're going to spend $60 and they haven't even started their night yet. You know, there's a lot of things there that I think, nine out of 10 times I go on the beach. I'm like, why did I do that? You know, and you want to be outside. You want to enjoy the palm trees. You want to enjoy our city, the pedestrian life. There's so many things that get to have its appeal, but I feel like it's lost its way a little bit. And I think understanding how you can achieve these things through either... Experiential community events, uh, marketing and storytelling, creating a narrative beyond just a one-time firework effect. You know, you want to be compared to major cosmopolitan cities, but you know, Miami is so young in so many ways and hasn't had things are just arriving for the first time. I mean, our coffee shop culture I think arrived ten years ago. You know, yeah, the cafecitos were here, but right. you know, Panther and and what that all meant, and you know, in so many cities that's been happening for so long. So, I think where community congregates in Miami has been also feeling pretty new in, in, in different ways. As someone who was not born and raised here, I, you know, I wanted so badly to go to a house party in Kendall because that felt like what Miamians <laughs> did. And I'm like, where can I meet these people? You know, but it was felt like that's the real Miami, right. you know? And so I never like got to meet, have that experience. And I will always, I'm like, please somebody invite me to a house party in Kendall, you know, because that feels quintessential, but, um, I think, you know, you can achieve very much bigger things, but also create a little bit of like humanity in the stuff you do,
0: right? you
1: know? And I think everybody re- like needs to remember, we're not talking to brands. You're talking to people.
0: And so what's a good example of a recent event or project that you guys have worked on yeah. that you believe perfectly exemplifies what you're trying to do?
1: Sure. I mean, I would probably say our, Our small business arm, Support Local Florida, has been very much aimed to create a dialogue, help small businesses, and actually change kind of some of the um, civic bureaucracy on what it means to open a business. So when we created the Miami Flea, uh, I guess it was about three or four years ago for the Arts and Entertainment District... We had no idea the explosion of, I mean, every form of artisan you can imagine, soap makers and jewelry makers. I mean, things that just was like, oh my God, we were getting 800 applications a month and we could only accept hundred. I mean, it was truly something like, wow, this community is here and I don't know how we're just finding out about them. And so when we realized that and we started to kind of just get to know these people more and understand and it's like, oh, we can never afford a... A brick and mortar, you know, we'd have to sell like, you know, like on Amazon to be able to produce enough to have, pay rent. And then in addition, the permitting process is so complicated. And so hearing a lot about what people went through, I mean, horror stories, even like some of my favorite restaurants, nine out of 10 of them told us, like, if we knew what it took to open in Miami, we wouldn't have done it. And, you know, they spent a year and a half in these offices and bleeding money and just like permit runners. We began to like understand what that actually meant from having a really cozy, awesome coffee shop to like the very brutal backstory of what it took for yeah, somebody to, to produce that. Yeah, you get the underbelly that.
0: of the yeah. whole machine, right?
1: And so of course we've never lived that experience, but I want to be a consumer to the fruits of having those kinds of businesses in Miami. And so we were like, okay, first, you know, we need a dialogue. And we started looking and we wanted to be able to just like funnel these people to somebody. But then I, we were like, how do people navigate how to support small businesses in Miami. And you know, there's all kinds of chambers and official directories, but the value becomes that somebody vetted it; it's curated. The products are great. The people are awesome. The service is good. You know, you need that input very much when you're at a decision fatigue yeah. of just somebody telling you, like, "Trust me." You want to be, yeah.
0: You want to be able to turn to someone who you trust. Totally. You know, and we do it day in and day out. Totally. You want to go out front somewhere to eat. You ask your friends, "Hey, Absolutely. where's something good?" So, I yeah, mean, you would
1: trust a friend over anybody exactly. else. And so, we built the curated business directory with over 350 businesses, um, 13 different categories categories so that people can just better know how to support you know as an agency we get asked like oh can you guys can we use your local printer and rather than have the transaction go through us we rather just connect them to our awesome printing company or design and so it became this thing that it was actually like wow what a great resource to just said." and then it totally became uh, kind of like this larger than life thing because then you know, I think people wanted to, like, great, can you guys support me on a marketing campaign? Can you guys help me get umbrellas on the sidewalk? Like, we would just realize, like, whoa, who is helping these people? And so we took several different meetings with people who aim to say that they do that supporting small businesses. But in the actual small business form that we're helping, they're micro businesses. You know, the two to 10 employees is not of interest to these bigger organizations because they don't generate enough, you know, income to to the city. So it also becomes like, okay, we need to help the little guys, even though we're a little guy, let's help create this platform. And so with that, It was a very, you know, it is a beautiful lifestyle community platform and forum that people can use, but what's the impact of it? And so that's when we started getting into, how do you help the dialogue of the permitting process? Well, the first thing is just to talk about it. So we produced a beautiful video with the city of Miami, with, you know, um, developers and business owners that have, that deeply care about why fixing this matters, you right. know, it's like, it's a very small thing that can affect so many people. And we were able to do a pilot program with the city of Miami and the chief innovation officer, Mike Sarasti. And he's like, we do care. And we're not the bad guys. The system is, you know, not built to succeed because it's old and it needs refreshing. So, you know, he was just like, If we get attacked, we can't help. But if we can come at this, you know, together, then it's something that we have a better chance of, like, all creating a new thing. And so we got different businesses that we work with from, um, I'm sure you guys know that at the time Casa Florida, they were opening a bar out of a storage container. And then we had our bakery owner. We had, like, different people that were at different phases of the permitting process and also different um, to, uh, uses, right? One's dry goods, one's F&B, different things that gave all their input into how the new site should be created. So the new permitting site that exists right now was based on our,
0: um, ah, yeah, on our pilot okay. program.
1: So it's cool because it feels snail's pace sometimes. I'm like, are oh, this is doing anything? But... I do think you got to just start where you can help, you know? And if we're just connectors or if we can help rally some enthusiasm around a thing to get someone to take a meeting, to care about a thing. Now it's part of, I think our power of like, okay, that's what, that's our contribution to the city, you know?
0: And you can't help, but wonder, right? You talk about the coffee shops that did open up, yeah. but they say, if had we known how difficult it was going to be, we would have never done it. It almost begs the question of how many yeah, How many more amazing concepts I didn't see the light oh, of day because of the red tape and totally. the totally. And
1: unfortunately, like we know some stories and it's really sad. And that's why you're like, should we just like wave our hands in the air and like not care? You know, there's a cycle that I think you can feel defeated in Miami. Yes, it's very entrepreneurial in a lot of ways, but because some paths aren't paved or things aren't supported or you just feel really defeated, you know? But then you see the Knight Foundation giving grants for entrepreneurship, but then right. our permitting system is messed up. So how can people do it? You know? <laughs> so I think we just try and understand like, how can you create a booming neighborhood?
0: So let's dive into that. Yeah, how, sure. So how does a normal project for Prism sure. come to life? Sure. Is it, is it, you are sitting they're thinking of something that needs to be done, figuring out who to reach out to and how, and what the right approach is. Or are people approaching you? Is it a little bit of both?
1: Um, I would say people kind of approach us a little more probably because we make it a point to post and talk about and storytell, which, you know, our, our VP and, and, and editor, Pola, she's our director of storytelling and she has such a beautiful way of words and talking about Miami story. And there's something there well beyond clients that feels so mission aligned to be able to talk about Miami in a way that's, you know, deep and rich and cultural and all of its Miami, you know, pot of amazingness. And, and I think that always attracts a level of like, you know, we really dig the way you guys are talking about this issue or blah, 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 you know? So I think we've always worked to build a brand that allows us to bring in, the more we talk about the things we like, it brings in the kinds of people that want to work on those things, right? So that that's helped us a lot that we've tried. Then that's why we've made a separate brand. And Culture Crusaders is our media platform to where we used to be Prism's blog. And people, were, I think we realized it was very confusing to have like a creative agency and community building and a blog. And is this a consumer coming to our site is as a client. And we realized through the kind of the readership we were getting that we had to make it its own thing. So it was actually just now a year that we created it. And it's been such a beautiful um, blessing and leap of faith of starting a media company, not based on advertising that really, we were very clear about that Um, just because we felt the need, you know, there's Miami new times is great, but we wanted to build another option. You know, we just wanted something that didn't feel like it had to be driven by Sales And um, and so it's allowed us to step into the spaces, um, you know, that we really enjoy. And so I think when we get approached, there's so many different versions, right? Is it a marketing campaign? Is it events? Is it consulting on, on campaigns and how they format their budgets for their neighborhoods? I mean, there's different versions of it.
0: So... Why yeah. the name Prism? How did it get started? What's the, what's yeah. the background? So
1: um, so I had a, a former company called the Black Key Group about, I guess I want to say seven years ago now, where it was an artist marketing management company. We were managing Suenalo, we were managing Jacob Jeffries, Raquel Sofia, some awesome local talent, and it was very much like music marketing, um, and it was really awesome. We got to like really delve into the scene. That's, I mean, my background has always been in music, and and we really got to see like, what is the scene? Who are the bands? Why do people not go see live music in Miami? You know, like very basic, what is the landscape? And we got to do some really awesome work in the company, but we weren't able to like change the scene. And we realized, my former business partner and I, that we were very passionate about that. And you just can not if you're on tour and you're doing all these things. And so she ended up moving to Vancouver and it was kind of a perfect time to just start a new company. And so Prism, Really came out of a 2.0 of that of, okay, rather than just music, let's make this uh, an entire agency built on, to, you know, supporting the like the little guy, the championing the underdog, the micro communities, like you just, you realized, it was like, oh, we could do after movie nights and you could do markets and you, I mean, it just was something that kind of opened a whole nother um, arena of, of places to play in. And prism came from I mean, because the black key was the black piano key, and there was many like you know uh, versions of where we kind of landed on that before the band we I, I thought of prism of, of it being like, you know, when the light shines through, it's a spectrum of 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 colors, and it felt like, oh, dispersing a spectrum of colors and sound, and when you're thinking of a company, I think you're trying to think of a symbol, like what can this really be? And it just felt. So like a light working kind of company that could like do something really cool with one piece of light you can do so much, you know, and it sounds a little like woo, woo, but it, it was very much of, of like, let's create something that feels people can really resonate with.
0: So you talked a little bit about your background, Let's give the listeners an opportunity to know more about sure. Izzy.
1: Okay, yeah. So,
0: give me a little bit about your background. Where so, did you grow so up? Yeah. You're not from Miami, yeah, bo- originally. Yeah, born so. and raised
1: in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and I went to an international school, so I I was speaking, I was reading Pablo Neruda in English and in Spanish, like in seventh grade. So high school was a lot harder for me than college was. Um, so I grew up bilingual. my My dad's American, and my mom is. Oh, citizen of the world but definitely I grew up with my mom being like hola mi amor and my dad being like hey darling you know my dad's very southern so I've always been a medical So where's your mom of- Well her from? blood is Lithuanian but she was raised in South America and okay. she she grew up in Santiago she grew up in Buenos Aires I mean she grew, she was such a nomad but she was born in Shanghai which is why the story wow. I know she really considers her, herself a global citizen of which I've naturally adopted that too but yeah, I mean, culturally, my mom is, is is you know, South American in a lot of ways. But, um, and you know, I lived abroad. I lived in Barcelona and spent summers in Uruguay. So I, I've always felt very, um, from neither here nor there, when people ask me that question, it's always confusing. I'm like, that's loaded. What version do you want to know? You know, because it's like your blood, your geography, your culture. Right. I need more context of what you're asking me, you know? Right. So, I mean, that's kind of like my backstory, but... I, um, yeah, I came down to FIU for hospitality school and, and I, you know, I saw Miami in such fresh eyes of like, wow, Miami can be so entrepreneurial, you know, and I think where a lot of people felt really defeated. And when I first met a lot of people like, oh, that's the way Miami is. And I just saw a different version of that, you know, because I saw it with such, you know, like a twinkle in my eye and like, wow, you guys don't understand how good you have. Like people are so embracing of so many cultures and, you know, it just. I saw kind of like all the the positives so quickly, and I think when you grow up here, you just you take it for granted. You hey, know, yeah. you see it, and you're like, yeah, of course. You yeah, know? if
0: you're if you're often driving across 195, it's easy to so, take it for granted. But- cr-
1: yeah, and I and I get it, right? But I I also am like, to me, what a beautiful quality of life to be able to speak in two languages every day. Yeah. Like I love that. I love when people don't talk to me in English. Some people, some people hate that, and I'm like, it's just so for me it feels like people are trying to connect with you immediately and you can, you can untap a different level if you can talk to somebody in their native language, you know? And because I live in both worlds, I, I feel like I naturally feel more connected, you know, to my barista or to my, you know, my friendly encounters in the elevator or whatever it may be. And it feels, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's such a quintessential Miami moment to have that, right. you know? And I, and I don't take that for granted, which is also why I live on the beach because Every Miamian knows if you do not live on the beach, you do not go to the beach. <laughs> right. And Which is such yeah. a shame, right? I it's know.
0: so beautiful. I world know. World-renowned. And the I locals know. have this thing of like, well, we just don't go to
1: the beach. Well, I know. Part of me is like, I get it. It's a logistic. It's a hassle. It's a parking, blah, blah. But like, I live in North Beach. It's super chill there. You can always find parking for the most part.
0: Looking back, has this always been a constant in your life? The culture, the music, the arts... Or, I or mean, was there a particular moment where you recognize yeah, it became a part of you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> I know when I travel, these are the kinds of experiences I look for. I'm, I'm just deeply curious, you know? And I think if you have some curiosity, you know, I always say, like, I, I'm the type of person who would go listen to an obscure band in Brooklyn because I just think there's some appeal in in the discovery of music. And I know not everybody, like, that doesn't always interest somebody, right? Which is why in Miami... You know, we always try and adapt our events and our themes and our concepts based on some of the obstacles in Miami. And sometimes people don't want to drive 30 minutes, but if we now have just themed the event to be a Motown get down and you don't need to know who the band is playing, but you'll discover and you'll find out that the band's been playing in Miami for 10 years. It creates a different level of like, oh, knowing your city re- richer and deeper. And and I do think the theming and the concepts of our events have been very much to Bring some of the more passive consumers out. We that's why all of our events are also free. We've worked really hard to maintain that. That's become like a company policy. And people kind of sometimes go, like, oh, can we charge? I'm like, what's the point? For the two grand you're gonna get for cover, um, just invest in it. You'll get double the amount of people and assume it's a barrier to somebody that you're trying to bring people together, you know? And I and I I'm sure it can merit a cover in different moments and narratives, but we'd rather just be that one person in Miami that can really focus on we want to just do free outdoor events, you right. know? And I think that in itself has become like a niche of what we enjoy so much about traveling and like, you know, the town square and being able to interact with people at a park. I mean, I, I deeply crave that culture. I, I so wish Miami had more of that. And I don't think events can create that but it can create a sense of morale that can imagine you can like begin to imagine all oh, this would be really cool if there were in Miami. Is often. that the
0: ultimate goal for you?
1: Yeah. Certainly. It totally is. I mean, my I I get really excited about tactical urbanism. One of the coolest projects we got to do a couple years ago was Biscayne Green. I don't know if you ever got a chance to go, but it was when we took over the parking medians um right in front of Bayfront Park, and it was a project um powered and funded by the DDA of what it would mean to Prioritize people over cars.
0: Funny and, story about that. Yeah. You guys, <laughs> one of the photographers that you guys did, my daughter was maybe. Two and a half, maybe three years old, and there's this photo. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look for it. Was it at
1: the puppy bridge? Yes. Oh my God, and she's holding so
0: one of the puppies, and you guys took a photo. I and like, feel
1: like I might know what photo of that is. That she's so wearing funny? like a little
0: white oh my uh, God. beanie. Yes, a, yes. That's your that's daughter. My daughter. Oh my
1: God, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, this is now our poster child for puppy bridge. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it was really cool because um, we had never known what we were gonna set out to do for that. And we were only slated to do four events for that we decided to do 18. And the reason why is because we felt like it was such a big case study for the city. And it was like, you know, it was very much like a a beta of like, if Miami had something like Las Ramblas or Embarcadero or, you know, like different places in the city where there's such heavy pedestrian life, um, could politicians and and people funding really get behind this? And so we programmed 18 events, which brought over 20,000 people it was a beautiful case study. It won many awards of like, you know, different public space projects. but I know people don't believe in ideas. people need to see the execution. you know people it doesn't matter what we say in our head. Test of you know proof of concept is critical when you're trying to build a case about making something important. and we just felt like if all these different entities were coming together to build this, like we really want to show that like Miami would want this granted Miami's like deeply political, and I don't know if it will ever happen but um there's some optimism we always feel but half people.
0: of the battle is making somebody feel something yeah. right and I, I can tell you I, I mean as we just found out i yeah. went to this well before we ever yeah, met awesome. and, and i remember looking at my wife and telling her man this is so cool oh, this that's is awesome. like why aren't there more events like this in miami why yeah. don't we have more of this so yeah just that level of of response from people is it's i think half of the battle. yeah right? no,
1: I, I agree. I mean, it, of course, the morale is is so critical, I think when you're talking about miami creators, right i think and i I use this a little bit more in music context just because i I know so many bands, but um, if bands feel defeated to write music and to perform because they don't feel like anybody's listening, then you know we live in a city where it's it's more dull because we don't have that, you know? And a lot of the musicians I do talk to, that is the problem. People in Miami talk, people don't care. They're playing in hotel lobbies. A Grammy award winning artist is playing in hotel lobbies and, you know, there's no culture on what it means to respect Mm. a musician, which is actually why I don't know. Do you ever go to the listening den? No. Okay. I would say that was probably the coolest thing we got to birth because our partners in that, um, ace props house, have you been Mm -hmm. ace props? Okay, cool. And a lot of people haven't, if they didn't go to this event, don't know it because it's not open to the public. It's very industry facing, and they shoot commercials and do all this fancy stuff, and they're amazing and have been in the industry for twenty years. But when you walk in there, you're like, "Oh my god, where am I?" It's a Hollywood prop shop. There's mannequins and there's really like vulgar neon signs that scream at you and like all this awesome stuff of like, who did this? Yeah. You know, and you meet this awesome couple, with Steven Liesl who are total you know misfits of which why we love them. And what it would mean to create like this really special concert. And I think we 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 get very excited about you still doing that? We're not because it was a sponsored driven event. So we did four of them and Minnie was our was really, we always said, thank you, Minnie, for powering the dream, you know, because it very much was that. And
0: for somebody tuning in that doesn't know what listening, yeah. There oh yeah, was. sure, give, give yeah. The, the of, brief
1: story is that it is a, it was aimed to be a no phones or talking concert series, of which you know we made little house rules, and it was like keep it in your pants, your phone that is. We'll send you photos and videos <laughs> later, you know, or like Shh, respect the musicians, right. like they're putting their souls on stage, you know. And we did these like really cheeky house, house rules that tried to set the tone a little bit to, I understand if people don't always get that that's kind of normal in other cities, but if we can help create the culture, that'd be really cool. We had some improv actors in the audience being like, wow, awesome conversation. I'll take it outside, you know? And there is something I think that if people feel like when you walk into a church or a library, you're like, Oh, I gotta be quiet. We wanted to create that, you know? And I don't know if we fully achieve that. I mean, there are some photos where you see just like everybody listening and it's really special. And I was definitely crying when I saw that. But of course there's always like people being like, you know, we really tried to respect the house rules, but the guy in the back was just really loud right. and you can't win them all, you know, and it's hard and it takes so much time. And, but I do feel like if you create an atmosphere that lends itself for that kind of thoughtfulness, you can get that back, you know? And I think it's just, we do think that as event producers, how can you shape and create an environment that allows people to be a little more thoughtful and putting the, the bar all the way at the back and creating right. like bohemian seating on the front so people can sit down and feel engaged, you know? So that to us was probably the coolest thing we got to do on a music standpoint because it felt really just like soulful. we kept it free. we were like, how are you not going to charge? And I'm like, no way, you know? Right. So yeah.
0: So, you have this. Um, this is something that's come up several times as I've been doing these interviews this creativity side of things, but then also balancing that with the business side of things. And I think you're like that's sandwiched so,
1: that's so real, <laughs>
0: sandwiched so in between those sure. two worlds to sure. an extreme, right? Totally. If you had to identify as one or the other, which one do you think would it be? Would you be a creative person that happens to be in business, or are you more of a business person who happens to be in the creative mm. space?
1: You know, it's a great question. I feel like it's it's a muscle you have to flex, you know, because I d- naturally feel like, yeah, you come up with an idea and it's creative. I don't think more in ROI, actually, never think in numbers, but I've gotten... I feel like you just get more savvy as a business owner to make calculated risks, you know? And I think that's really the dance is how do you kind of like surpass your last dream, but like without jumping out of the plane without a parachute, you know? Right. And and so we would love to do more listening dance, right? But talk about the business. I mean, the production expenses were insane. They were probably like 20 grand because both teams... you know, we're bringing, we're recording these songs, um, through audio and video. And we actually did music videos out of them. We do all the, um, market. I mean, like all the things that we brought talent from other cities, we brought talent from Tel Aviv, you know, and we always wanted to, Keep production. We never wanted to compromise on the production budget because we're like, this is like, you can't, cheap will be cheap, you right. know? And so everybody deserves to get paid. Nobody works for free. I don't believe in that. I don't, I don't do stuff for free. And so our expenses were really high, but it was, with the sponsor, it makes sense. You just basically even out the costs.
0: So that's how you kind of try to balance that creativity or that spark or that idea with the business.
1: Totally. And the same with, you know, Culture Crusaders, which is its own business model, too, because it's very much a media platform. But storytelling is the main objective. Um, So how do you basically power it financially without compromising its integrity and so because we're all about promoting culture in Miami, it's like the cultural organizations is the backing we need, you know. Right. We want to support if you were to have a mixer that's, you know, down the street at an art studio or whatever it may be, we don't want you to have to pay for that, you know. But I think there's we need to have kind of the bigger whales fund the dream for the platform, you know, right? right. So I think um understanding where your objective is and where you can make your um, bottom line. And that's the thing. We've never wanted to charge consumers, which is why our events are free. Small businesses. We've always wanted to help them, which is why we made the platform. And for, um, most of our client events, we don't charge any vendor fees and they keep hundred percent of profits. Like we're very much about, you know, the soap guy needs to sell like 30 soaps to make for the vendor fee. (laughs) Like that's so not fair, you know, like think about their, just like their own business. So I think understanding, um, when our client target shifted, our business shifted a lot of ways, you know? And I didn't know anything about real estate or developers. And it was funny. I have walked into meetings. And they're like, okay, the girl with the nose ring is the one that we're going to listen to. Really? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, you should be happy. I don't know about your world. <laughs> you know? And it was funny. I just left Live Nation at the time because I, for a period in between my old company, I worked as the director of marketing at Live Nation for, for Florida, and they were like, "So, what do you do? Who are you?" You know, and I was like, "Well, we, i just marketed Dave Chappelle concerts, Lana Del Rey, Queens of the Stone Age." You know, I was like, "They're like, we don't know who any of those people are." I'm like, "That's okay, because you're not the demo of what I'm right. trying to do." You know, and I think there's a level of—I um, think it's good to be in rooms that you feel kind of like an alien, because at the end, I mean we had a huge value add and in, in kind of what we did in that neighborhood because we just had a different approach and we were able to give them some context about like, this is what's going on in the Miami community. Like there actually is no outdoor concerts. Like, what do you mean there's no outdoor free concerts? Like people don't understand that that's really just, yeah. I mean, you just can't find a series that's on a continual basis in Miami where your friends coming into town and right. like, you know, and you would expect that to be here.
0: <clears throat> so that's, you know, those are some of the challenges that you've faced uh, since doing all of this. And yeah you know, you're very successful at what you do. And as we all know, success is never a linear
1: kind of trajectory. So I had a breakdown in my car two hours ago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I like to highlight that I think is important for people to understand and for for us to talk about is what are some of those challenges, those failures that you may have experienced along the way? Sure, What gets you through them? Because I think it's It's easy for people to see successful people and think, well, you know, it must be nice.
1: It's like, what's the dirty laundry?
0: (laughs) But you often don't get to see the struggles along the way. Yeah. And so what are some things that come to mind in terms of-
1: Man, man, there was a really bad one about a couple years ago. And I, um, you know, it was one of on the premise of like, somebody promised us that they were going to, you know, front all this money. And I mean, I guess I could just talk about it. I just feel like it's it's one of these things where we had booked Charles Bradley at the time, who was alive and well, we had booked, um, just like some amazing talent. And it was something that it was very much my name on the whole thing, because I was doing it through some relationships and the guy like, I mean, he was a, he was a friend and he was a colleague. He was our bar operator at the time. And he's like, I got all the money it was for Basel. It was two years ago. It's called the Lost City. And it's so ironic because it really was lost. It never happened. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was one of these like very ambitious Basel events we wanted to do. I mean, everything we ever imagined on steroids with headlining talent, Miami's best food, lounging, chilling, all of that. Um, and the guy went on and I had legal contracts with my name on it, and I had to pay the fifty percent of all those deposits of talent that never made it to miami. and it was heartbreaking. you know, I like really learned the power of like an agreement between somebody you really trusted, you know, which normally i, I I'm pretty savvy in the sense of like even just uh, being in tune to someone's character but this guy, like fled the city. It was a very crazy story. Yeah. Some people like still hate this guy because I was one of many casualties, but, um,
0: so what's going through your head? Oh man,
1: it was brutal. I I mean, I was, it was tears and tears of like, how did I get here? Like, how did I allow this to happen? I mean, I was, it was, it was one of these like, what was this? What my life has come to, (laughs) like, should I be homeless now? What's going on? You know? Um, and it was really crazy, but it was also really beautiful to see how many people came out to to like. I mean, obviously my my close colleagues and friends that knew about this. I mean, they came into the office and we were trying to find a way to book this talent. And I had the old um, owner of the Vagabond, Carmel was here, and I the, the you know, Della of the Winwood Yard. There were so many different people that were like, let's just see how much we can salvage of this so you don't have to pay for it, you know? And you know, it, it, was a, it was a huge financial loss of which I learned obviously so much and it was a hard blow to take. But I do think there's very basic principles there that you just trust people, you know, sometimes with people that, you know, you've been working with for a long time and it is business. And how do you compromise or keep the integrity of still being human, but also kind of being transactional? Right. Like, and I say sometimes, like, excuse the formality, but you absolutely have to... Uh, protect yourself, you know, and protect your team. And that's another thing is, you know, I, I realized early on, like, well, this isn't just me anymore. I'm like, really, my team is my family, and I and I will protect. And whatever decision I take, you know, I'm the captain of the ship. Like, oh God, you know, it's Titanic. Everyone, look for a lifeboat. You know, <laughs> but of course, luckily, like, it never it never got to that. But I think that there are levels of responsibility. You begin to realize that it dawns on you, like, oh wow, this is all my shoulders. You know. And I felt of course like very supported, but it's now a mistake like I've never ever made again, you know?
0: <clears throat> well, let me let me add something to that. Yeah. So you got screwed over by somebody in the community, yeah. but at the same time, that also presented the perfect opportunity for other people in the community yeah, to come that's, that's in always and what's support beautiful. and yeah. everything. So it comes It's It's circle. always
1: like really, it, it is a very beautiful feeling of like, well, when stuff gets really bad, who's there? And I felt right. like I had so much support. It was amazing because people saw that like, you know, like we're not bad people. We're not trying to do bad things, but it truly was my name on the line. And like, you know, every entrepreneur has different versions of that. But I think because I always try to be very human about my transactions with anybody that I'm doing anything with, um, it lends itself for these kinds of moments of like, you know, are you trusting someone's word? Or are you going to get it on paper? And I think when they're such big commitments, you, again, you make better calculated risks every right. year, you know? So yeah, that was a big one.
0: What are some of the biggest Getting influences? Getting
1: PTSD just talking about it. <laughs> 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 like I hate talking about it because I was like, oh God, that was such an intense moment. My throat's closing.
0: What are some of the biggest influences that looking back shaped you?
1: Influences, oh man, I feel like, you know, there's a company in Miami I've always been really inspired by. I don't know if you know them. Do you know Radical Partners? Mm -hmm. So they actually work out of the CIC and it's a team of really badass women, but Rebecca Fishman-Lipsy is the CEO. And I was part of one of her entrepreneurial boot camps that she hosts Um, and she makes it actually, you know, free. It's a selection process, but she basically believes that there are select people in Every community that can help solve all of our community's problems. So she empowers people in philanthropy and in um, education and in poverty and in affordable housing. The thing that they're trying to do, like, what would it look like if they had more support from their team, from their accounting? Like, you know, understanding that an entrepreneur is like very great in the skill set. And then there's a whole other bucket of stuff that they need supplemented or supported and blah, blah. So I've really admired them because, and Rebecca, because locally, um, talk about a small and hardy company that's made huge waves in leadership. And I think leadership is probably one of Miami's biggest um, opportunities and and deficiencies, right? Like in any conversation you get in, it's like, I think it really starts with there, you know, and those people change those conversations or change rooms or change laws, you know? And I've always admired them for many reasons, but probably their leadership is unparalleled.
0: Any defining moments in your life? So you know, she obviously had a, an amazing impact in your life. But what about your personal life? Any my, defining moments that you go, man? At this moment, my yes. life changed.
1: It's so funny you say that. Yes, it was also another failure, a big fat failure. But um, I was we were I was uh, a co-founder of the the painted p- piano project, pop-up piano Miami. I don't know if you remember all the pianos that were painted around Miami. Yeah, I was part of the old company, Black Key Group. But we did a concert with all these big sponsors and they made us do all they basically like took out the soul and made it a very big real estate event and basically nobody came and it was one of these moments where like a lot was riding it was it was like really high profile it was really scary and I just got in the curb and I just started crying I was like my dad came over I'm like dad I'm just like I don't know what's going on I'm in over my head and he's like sweetie you're in the arena when you're in the arena everybody can criticize, but you're in here doing it, you know? And I, there's a, he now like gave me that poem and it's called the man in the arena. Yes. And it's just, it's powerful because I think you're going to have moments of adversity all the time. Right. And then, yes, they can be big defining moments or even just like small, like trying to get a thing started and nothing seems to work out. And I remember that quote so much because yeah like forget the people who are booing like i'm here shut up you know (laughs) and i feel like there's a level of um it it, it allows you to always remember that like even when you're trying like you're in there you're trying you know and we're gonna get wounded and try again and i think you want to always have this balance part of like you know
0: the 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 gladiator in the arena totally. that's worn by dust and sweat and Ugh. blood and, and it's you know so like,
1: real i mean that's really like it feels so symbolic to what it feels like when you're in it you know right. and you're getting stretched in every direction and you don't doubt it i mean you're doubting yourself and you don't have what it takes and blah blah you know but like you, you build up the strength through the adversity you build up your strength through like the muscle of changing your narratives and your thoughts about what you believe you can do, yeah. you know, because so much of life is perception. And so if you live in a different realm, you can like unlock other areas of your so,
0: life. So man in the arena, any other quotes that you're often thinking about or that you try to live your life by?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's funny. I just referenced it, but I'll, I have it on my Instagram and it's very much, um, I'll say it again. It was kind of, a hold on. Oh yeah. The only thing we're ever dealing with is a thought and a thought can be changed. And I think the reason why I love that is because how many times, I mean, and anxiety has become such a big topic of conversation in so many things, right? I think that's always the battle, the battle in your head, right? How do you, you know, overcome this thing of to feel like you can do it, change the negative thoughts to something positive. I mean, that's the brain gym that you do every day, you know, and like writing that email or making that call or getting your idea off the ground, you have to get yourself out of the way, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very much applied to life outside of being an entrepreneur, just a day-to-day thing. And, And when you allow yourself to realize that how powerful that is and not believe in your own BS, you know, I think you can, kind of unlock endless possibility of of potential, you know? And I always think like, God, there's so much more I haven't done. There's so much more I want to create, so many more things I want to do. And I love to live in this like limitless abundance of possibility because that feels like, yes, everything is a yes. Everything could be real. Everything like who says this, who says that, you know? And I think there's just so much empowerment you can get out of that, out of feeling like, you can create your life. You're not a tree. You can move. You can do whatever you want. You You're know, not a tree, and you people, can move. yeah, people, I love that one because people feel so stuck. You know, and it's like it so starts with your thoughts. Yeah. So I do feel like there's something. It's very simple, but it's very, very complex in how we live it. You know.
0: So going back ten years, or ten years, or five years, however, you know, maybe at the start of Prism sure. or at the early beginning, if you could go back right now and give yourself a piece of advice, what's something that you wish you had known back then?
1: Oh man, um, it's just, it's not that serious, you know? I think everything heavy has always felt like these wounds that you bring with you, and it feels heavy of like, like everything is counting on these things, you know? And I just, I think that um, you have to take life a little lighter than that, you know? Because if you make creating, to be this like three thousand pound piece of luggage that you have to carry, it becomes um, sometimes difficult to have hope in continuing. You know, and like I think when you're really in the in the middle of it, it just feels like oh, I'm carrying all this on my shoulders. Can I can I handle it? Bringing in the lightness and and, and creation as a level of kind of what we were talking about before, which is the purpose to create is for the expression in itself rather than putting so much on the outcome. Um, can change, can make a difference between an idea and just starting, you know? And so I, I think that I, I, I really put a lot of emphasis in that because anytime we're talking about stuff and it's like, well, what's the point? I'm like, well, the point is cause we just want to express it and we want to talk about it, you know? And, and I think there is a level of, um, richness in that because that is the quality of our life, you know, is what we get to put out into the world. And if you always have to have a point, then you might not do it. You know?
0: What about the flip side? If you could, go forward 10 years into Mm -hmm. the future. Izzy from 10 years from now is coming back to today and giving you some advice to you today. Mm. What do you think? What's a piece of advice you think you need to get today?
1: (laughs) Work on a business plan. I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's so funny because I I take such an opposite approach to starting ventures, but I do think, um, I could probably always be a little more prepared, you know? Um, but sometimes I feel like if I over then I psych myself out and then I see what I'm really up against. I'd rather not know I'm on my wrist until I'm halfway up, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's that, yeah.
0: Okay. What's one thing that you want to accomplish before you die?
1: Wow. And I know
0: that that's a big one, that's but... A, I
1: mean, yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to get to the end of the year here, okay? <laughs> get to the end of the year. Yeah, okay. okay <laughs> before I die, one thing I want to accomplish... I mean, I have a real, real public speaking fear, which it's funny because I say yes to doing podcasts because I deeply love the dialogue and the intimate conversation, but I say no to 99% of speaking engagements because I, not only do I like, I just, I don't enjoy the anticipation of knowing that I have to do it. My palms are sweaty. I like, I hate everything about it. Granted, I love to share and talk and talk about stories and help anybody, like, kind of, like, looking for insight on, not that I know, not that I'm an expert, but whatever, just someone's story. Um, But I have just really hated it. And part of me is like, God, I got to get over this. And I'm like, but why? Why do I have to get over this? Why can't I just live with my anxiety about public speaking, you know? Um, But I do feel like I probably could unlock a level of, um, I don't know, just, like, feeling a little more... um, Anybody who needs to hear the story of whatever version of what I can say that could help somebody brings me joy. Um, but I, I feel like in the current form that I'm in, I'm just like so scared about it.
0: One thing I'm that I've personally gone through, I yeah. did um are you familiar with Toastmasters? Oh my god,
1: I couldn't even say my name at Toastmasters. That's how bad so it was. I, I went through.
0: I went through yes. Toastmasters, I Good did the whole you. thing and Good everything. And I I would highly recommend you, right. you just but put yourself through it and Ugh. even if you just bomb at it. The most powerful thing that I got from Toastmasters is the fact that I can get in front of any group of people. And I may not be able to deliver a TED Talk level speech, but I know I will not freeze or bomb. Good for you. That just removes all the nerves. Good for you. And so then that opens you up to do (laughs) these other things, right? And so highly. Highly recommend. Well,
1: I, yeah, I need to give it another go because I still have trauma from the last time that I went. I couldn't even say my name and I left. Like, it was like that bad. I was like, I'm a lost cause. What do you do for the lost causes, you know? That
0: is awesome. I don't,
1: I guess there's something around feeling like judge that feels like it really resonates with like just some
0: you gotta You got to jump into that stuff. arena.
1: Totally. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. be in that arena. I like my <laughs> other arena where it's nice and cozy and scary.
0: So one thing that I like to do in all the episodes is a segment called miami rapid fire
1: oh god this, i'm gonna fail this I already one know. you have no, to no. i mean
0: th- you're you're rolling in here with <laughs> lots of street cred in terms oh, of miami god. rapid fire so
1: you didn't prepare me for this
0: um quick questions first thing that comes to mind okay. about miami so izzy's favorite food spot and dish in miami
1: Zaika, the chicken tikka masala. It's the Indian restaurant on 123rd and it's freaking awesome. I don't know if you're into Indian food, okay. but like without a doubt, hands down. So yummy. I celebrate my birthday.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Favorite way to spend a Miami weekend?
1: Oh, on the beach. On the beach, um, uh probably do you want to like the whole day or just like
0: give me the highlights? <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: okay. Um I get my it's definitely on my neighborhood biking down to my North Beach coffee shop, cachito bakery, um get a ham and cheese croissant, cafe con leche, um three hours in the beach. And then possibly if I'm feeling really indulgent, I'll go to the standard, have a drink or two. And then, you know, I think being by the water to me is like the quintessential experience. Day drinking always feels really nice. And then my favorite like Greek restaurant is Barmelly, which is really fun down here and just tapas and wine and good friends, good conversation.
0: If you're stuck in Miami traffic, what are you listening to? A podcast. Which ones are you listening to lately? Uh, I
1: have a couple of Other ar- than Miami
0: Creators, oh, of duh. course.
1: well, I was going to say that, <laughs> but you didn't let me. <laughs> um, generally, like Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. Um, I listen to TEDx, How I Built This. Um, sometimes Lewis Howes, Aubrey Marcus. I have like a, a rotation.
0: Any Miami businesses- that you, or people that you think are worth mentioning that you want to show a little oh bit of God, love to. And I know, so I know long. you have an entire website for it, right? I, I, know, I know, like <laughs> don't make me call it one
1: of my children. <laughs> oh my God, I love them all. Don't make me do that, really? Like you want me to, what about like, there's a lot. Um,
0: well, let's just put it this way. Yeah, I'm a, what over, is, I'm a very over what's overwhelmed a, that question. What's a business that you would say everyone listening to this should visit by the end of the year?
1: Okay. Um, so there is a beautiful family owned, uh, Argentine restaurant in little Haiti called Sur and they have some of the best empanadas I've ever had, not just in Miami, but like ever, everything is, um, you know, uh, cooked to make, to be made. And like, they make literally when you're eating the empanadas, you, you have the dough on your hand. I mean, it's like really awesome. Ah, Okay. And, uh, they're just, you know, they're just like this lovely couple and their daughter works there too. And it's just it feels so like you're supporting their dream, which I always feel like is part of why I enjoy the food a little more, you know? okay. Um, And the ingredients are super fresh and everything's awesome. But yeah, they're kind of like an underdog. Not a lot of people know about them.
0: Sticking with that underdog
1: um,
0: theme, Miami music act or band that everyone, as soon as this episode ends, they should look up in Spotify or anything that, that you want to show Yeah, a bit. well to- there's
1: there's quite a few. I'm still buzzing from last night. We did a Buena Vista Social Club tribute. So cortadito naturally, um, because it's the fresh in my mind. But um for those of you who know Palo, they're amazing. Leslie Cartaya is their lead singer who sounds like Celia Cruz, super special. Um, singer-songwriter, Keith Johns, loving me sounds like a, a Miami Jack Johnson. Um I'll probably send you more. These are what's coming to my mind, but I have Yoli Mayer, who is you know um, one of a dear friend, but also I've been working with her for a long time. So many, I mean, they're they're pretty special. I have um, probably I, I can send them to you, so that everybody can listen to. Yeah, one we'll of our definitely playlists. link to everything
0: yeah. in the show notes so that everyone can find this. Yeah, Izzy, is there anything that? We didn't touch on that you wish we would have asked. Um
1: on. no, I feel like we we covered the good, the bad, the ugly, the the ambitious. <laughs> it felt great. I um I really appreciate being on the show. Oh well, the one thing I do want to say. Yes, sorry, I just realized course. I didn't get to say it. Um, I do get a lot of limelight sometimes for Prism. And there is an entire SWAT team of amazing people that I get to work with that allow us to do what we do. So I really want to give a big shout out to my team. Um Pola Bunz, who I mentioned, is our VP and our editor, our director of marketing, Janelle Allen, our event ninjas, Catherine and Alex. And we have, you know, amazing people we work with, Julia and Sasha. And I, I just, I know that I kind of get asked to speak on these things, but none of it would be possible if there weren't talented people at the table that everybody is responsible for their arenas and everything happens because of them and how talented they are. And I truly feel so grateful to work with such, t- such great people. So I definitely wanted to, sorry, I didn't say that sooner. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Love
0: it. How can people connect with you? Um, what's the best way to keep in, yeah. in the loop Follow us everything. on
1: Instagram. It's probably like the most visually interesting. Um, it's at prismcreative.group and culture crusaders and support local Florida. Those, these are our three, our three babies.
0: Awesome. Izzy, thank you so much. No,
1: thank you. How cool. I don't want to take off the headphones. This has been a good, like I have important things to say. All right,
0: thank you. Have a good one. Hey guys, this is Corrado again. Two quick things before you take off. One, remember that you can find detailed show notes for every single episode at miamicreators.com. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share this with someone you think would find it interesting. That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening.